Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. We're going to go ahead and continue. Uh, we started to look at the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians today. We're going to continue that same letter. And today we're going to look at the next set of verses, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. We're going to start looking at what it is that Paul is going to tell the Corinthians. Remember, there they were a they were group of believers, a church of believers, saved believers who were kind of straying away a little bit, and they were, uh, you know, they were doing what they were not supposed to do as the church. So now, after Paul gave his introduction to what his basis is and where he's coming from and why he can he say that, uh, he's going to go ahead and speak to them about the issues that they're having uh, to specific specific issues. So what I want to do is first I want to I want to play this. Uh, I want to tell you these two short scenarios, right? Uh, play in your head two short scenarios that I'm going to give you. And I want you to think how would you feel if you were looking from the outside. If you were looking at the outside and you were ha- seeing the scenarios take place, what would you think? How would you react to it? First, let's say, and remember, these are just scenarios. These are not real things that happen. These are just, you know, scenarios. That's what it is. Uh, so first, let's say is... Uh, the two, two of the men that Jesus healed from being blind met each other. You know, Jesus healed a couple of, of, of men. That they were blind and they were able to see. But let's just two of them, right? Two of them met. One that was healed when Jesus sped on the ground, right? He made mud. He grabbed that mud. He put it in the eyes of the, of the blind men. And then he told the blind men to go wash it off. You find that in John 9. He, you know, was able to see, right? And then there's another... Uh, another man that Jesus healed was in Bethsaida. He spit directly into the man's eye. He laid hands, and then the man was healed. You can find that in Mark 8. Let's say these two men who were healed from their blindness, one day met each other, where they're at a, you know, at a park or something. I don't know where they would hang out in those days, but they met each other, and they started to talk about what it was to be healed, or what it was to experience that healing of Christ. And then after some time of talking, they start to get into an argument. They start to argue with each other, and they start to debate each other about what was the true way of being healed by Jesus. So now all of a sudden they're having this conversation about what was true and what was not. And what was good and what was not good? The, you know, is it having to spit in the mud in order to be healed? Your, your blindness, that's the way to do it? Or is it the laying of the hands? Was the laying of the hands or the spitting directly in the eye? Or is it the spit or was it the hand or was it the mud? Or what was it? They were arguing back and forth about what was the real way that Jesus heals. And then they argued to a point where 
They just didn't want to talk about it, uh, talk about it anymore, and they just didn't want to have to do nothing with each other anymore. They went their separate ways. They said, don't talk to me. I don't want to be seen around you. I'm going my way, and the other guy said, I'm going my way too because you're false, and I'm right, and you're wrong. So if you're looking from the outside, what would you think? You look at these two men who were healed by Christ, fighting and bickering and debating each other about something. What would you think? I can almost guarantee you that many will probably say, hey, there's evidence of Jesus healing you. You saw the evidence. You saw the miracles. But you cannot even agree on what was the proper miracle. I mean, I can imagine those believers, non-believers, or people outside of the church looking at these two men bickering over like, look, this is why I don't believe because these two men that have been healed by God, supposedly, they can't even agree on how they were healed. Two believers healed by Christ, but all they can talk about and argue is who's right and who's wrong. Another scenario, and I want to bring this kind of more in, in our time, right? Let's say you knew about two sisters who lived together and slept in the same, they lived in the same house and they slept in the same room. Separate beds, but in the same rooms. One day they had a disagreement. They disagreed about something. Nothing major. Nothing life-changing. They just disagreed. But since that day they had the disagreement, all of a sudden these two sisters don't talk to each other anymore. They haven't spoken to each other after that day. They still live in the same house. They sleep in the same room. And they've been doing that for many years after this one disagreement. And many years have passed at, since that day happened, yet they still haven't spoken to each other. They drew line down the middle of the house, and they both could do whatever they need. They can use the bathroom, they can use the kitchen, they can use the fridge, they can do everything. They just won't speak to each other. So if you're looking from this, if you're looking at this from the outside, what would you think? Ridiculous, right? You'd be like, that's insane. Your family living in the same house, in the same bedroom. It's been years and you haven't spoken to each other just because you had a disagreement. How can you let something like that divide you both? Being family. Well, these scenarios are probably more common than they should be, right? We hear about these kind of things where people stop talking to each other and they don't longer see each other or, 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 or want to have nothing to do with each other all the time. Many of us have stories where that happened. And I'm not all surprised because humans can be selfish at times, right? We have egos. We have pride right we you offended me i don't want to talk to you anymore we're going our separate ways right no it's my way i want to make sure i it's it's about me it's about my feelings and we don't want to talk to each other so i kind of expect that it's not a big surprise but what's not expected is the same issue comes up within the church where we have times where we can get into some disagreements or some debates that divide us 
and all of a sudden we either don't come to church anymore or we decide, hey, I'm going to open my own church and I'm going to do things completely the opposite of the ways that you're doing it. So in this section of the letter of Paul that he's addressing the church, he's addressing the questions and the issues that the church of the Corinth are having. And after Paul gives them his introduction and the foundation, he's going to start beginning to tackle this. And he's going to tackle this first issue, which is the issue of division. But not just division in general. He's going to talk about division within the church. So I titled this sermon, A Divided Church. Because remember, he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's not just making a general statement how being divided with the world or the people and around us is wrong. No, he's talking about division in the church. So Paul starts with an appeal. And this starts in verse 10. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. For that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. So Paul starts with an appeal. More like an urgent plea to the church. He's pleading to the church to stop. He's speaking to them with urgency. With an authority. But at the same time he's being loving. And we can't forget that because... Some of these messages can be difficult to take on, right? Can, some of these messages are difficult to listen because some of us may be going through some of this. But you have to understand that Paul, though he he's has his urgency and, and he comes with his authority, he's, he's still being loving. Paul's motivated by genuine love and the concern that he has for the brothers. He's not coming with anger and frustration. He just literally really loves his people so much that he wants to make sure they're doing the right thing. And Paul's direct message is against division within the church. And his plea is very simple and very direct. He's asking of them to agree and to be united in loyalty and alliance. He's asking them to agree to be the church driven by truth. And he's asking this from them because that way there will be no division among them. If you are united in truth, if you're together, there's going to be no division. He's asking that they be united in the same mind and judgment. This is not to say he's not telling them he wants them not to have, you know, different ideas right he's not saying you almost think alike 100 percent. you know you cannot have your own thoughts and opinions or ideas of how to do things we should all be doing it we should all be thinking just 100 percent alike we all know that's impossible he's not asking of them this but he's asking to be focused on the same thing this is the same prayer that jesus prayed when he right in john seven uh, john chapter 17 verse 20 he says my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I, you 
are in me and I am in you. This means that they need to be in the state of oneness and harmony. That's what he's asking for. He's asking for the church to be in harmony. Now remember, this, this wasn't a warning, right? This letter wasn't, hey guys, you know, be careful. Uh, make sure you stay, you know, in a, in a way where you guys are together so bad things don't happen, the way you guys don't divide. This is already happening. They have been divided. They have already been division. So Paul's goal is that as saved believers, they restore that harmony within themselves. That is what he's aiming for. He's aiming for them to come back to what they were before they started being divided. They need to mend their brokenness. Paul's desire that even in the midst of diversity, there will be harmony. They will have an attitude of, of being together. That they will be in agreement on the essentials of faith. He wants that whatever is true and worthy, that's what they should focus on. This is what he's asking for. He goes, go back to the beginning where, where our focus was the same thing, which is Christ. He's saying, you guys are going in many different directions individually when they should be going in the same direction together. They shouldn't be scattered all over the place doing their own thing, what they think they should be doing. They should all be in the same mindset, doing the same focus, doing the same thing. So how does Paul know what's happening, right? He gets a report of exactly what's happening, and he talks about it. Verse 11, For it has been reported to me by close people that they are quarreling among you, my brothers. So Paul has a trusted source that's letting him know the circumstances of the church in Corinth is in. There's somebody that's telling him that he trusts, that is telling him, look, this is the problem that's happening in the church. And as I mentioned already, the problem is division. But the reason behind this division is due to the quarreling among them. And quarreling is like a bitter... Uh, you know, a debate, like a strong debate of what could be fundamental issues. So it's like a big, you know, it's like if we were having a debate right now on something we think is very fundamental and very important to the, the belief and, and the salvation, right? And we're just going back and forth and, and we're like, no, you're wrong. No, but you're wrong, right? Have you ever seen those kind of very debates that is kind of like, whoa, you could cut, you know, the... the you could cut the, what's it called, the, uh, the tension with a, with a scissor, right? <laughs> it's like, that's pretty brutal. That's what he's talking about. They're going back and forth, bickering and, and debating and, and disagreeing and arguing about stuff. Now, to be clear, the problem here is not because they're constantly debating over fundamental issues, okay? Because we can have a debate on something that's very important. And I think the church should be doing that. Right? We should be having more conversations about things that are, are important to the faith. But that's not the problem. The problem is not that they're debating 
things that should be debated is because they think what they're arguing is fundamental, but really it's just opinions and thoughts. What they're debating and they're arguing about is nothing. Secondary things. What they're quarreling about doesn't really have any effect on the whole picture. It's like when you start a church, right? And there's a few people, you know, we come together as a church and we do worship. And there's, you know, we just started. There's no instruments yet. We're just, and we worship without instruments for, for a year, two years. And then one day somebody comes in that knows how to play the piano. And then, hey, he's going to play the piano. Let's worship with the piano. So he comes and worship with the piano. And then what happens? People start, yeah, it was better without the piano. We shouldn't be worshiping with the piano. We should worship without music. They just sing. And they just start arguing among each other about how we shouldn't be worshiping with piano. And it's, and it's meant to be worshiped without piano. Why do we have to add piano? And some people, no, let's add the piano. It sounds good with the piano. And then some people are like, no, why, why do we need a piano? Then what happens? The quarreling starts. The division starts. All of a sudden, you have the people that wanted a piano stay in the church. And those who don't want a piano open a new church on the street. And they're going to be like, this church is not going to have piano because this is the proper way to worship. But Paul goes on to explain this issue a little more. Verse 12 says, what I mean is that each one of us, each one of you say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. So the quarreling is not about the worship team like, you know, the example I did because that's not what they're talking about. The quarreling is about who is better teacher and who is better for following the teacher. So it's a little bit more serious than just a worship team. So what's happening is that because they're so focused on the things that don't matter, they start to create teams and groups within the church, kind of like cliques. Where some are following some, and some are following others, and they're dividing because of it. And each teacher and preacher in Corinth excelled at specific things. There were, uh, there were teachers that will be good at certain things, and some will be at other things. So they were basically saying, well, since this guy is better at teaching this, then he is better, so therefore I'm going to follow this guy. And whoever doesn't follow me with this guy, whoever is not following this teacher or this preacher, then I don't want to have nothing to do with you. Don't be around me because you're false and because this is the real teacher. So they did not just disagree. They were outcasting each other. All of them. Even the ones who say they follow Christ. They say, whoa. Are they saying they follow Christ? But because even though Christ is the cornerstone, right? He's the center. Put a teacher in front of me. If you put a pastor in front of me, I, I, nope, nope. I don't need a pastor. I don't need teachers. I don't need no one. I don't need those who God has placed in front of me. I don't need them. All I need is, hey. Me and Christ. Those teachers that God put in there to teach me and those pastors God put there to, 
to pastor me? No, no, no. I don't want them. I'm going to do this on my own. So even those who were saying, oh, I follow Christ, were rejecting those who got put in, their, in front of them. Kind of like saying, I follow Jesus, but I don't need a pastor or a church. It doesn't make sense. You're doing the same thing. Again, he's not saying don't have difference of opinion. But he's saying don't exclude or look down on someone who does have a difference of opinion. Because that's what they were arguing about, just differences of opinion. Of course, if it's a primary issue, right? If it's something that's, that Paul tackles that later. But they were not having issues with fundamental things or with the gospel. It was because of their opinions. That's what the issue was. And of course, their opinions did affect ultimately their fundamental, but still, that was where the root cause was. So how does Paul respond, right? Look at uh, Paul's response right there in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So here's Paul laying some truth. So he's about to give him the truth. And Paul's telling them, is Christ not a whole, is Christ a whole bunch of different pieces and parts? Paul is saying, Christ is not split down many pieces and, and Christ went on to do things separately. And God said, no, I'm going to do things in pieces and one piece here, one piece over there. Paul is saying, Christ is whole. And if the church is the body of Christ, therefore, the parts of the church can't. And we are the body of Christ. means that we shouldn't be divided. We should be whole. And if you can't divide Christ, you can't divide the body of Christ either. He says, was Paul's blood that redeemed you? See, no one in history has ever died for your sin. No one sacrificed himself in a cross and bleed for you. No one. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? There's some versions that says, into the name of Paul. Basically, it's like saying, you acknowledge that the absolute authority of Paul in your life over the authority of Christ. You're saying, no, because I was baptized by Paul, that means this is legit. This is, this is how it should be. Anyone else is wrong. So Paul's telling them that no teacher placed by God will ever be above one or the other. They may have qualities to stand out from one and another because we do, we clearly that's obvious. The other ones don't. But that doesn't mean that one is better than the other. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Steve, uh, Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. 
Now, he's not saying he doesn't like to baptize anyone. He's not saying, hey, I'm anti-baptism. No, I would never. He's not saying that. He's just telling them that he's glad he's not giving them a reason to use him as a reason to divide. He's saying, well, I thank God I'm not the one that's causing you guys to separate and divide and say, oh, Paul is the man. I mean, right? I'm sure he would have been like people going around saying, hey, no, it's Paul. You didn't get baptized by Paul? Mm -mm. You're not baptized. That's not true baptism. Or maybe, well, if you didn't get baptized as a baby by Paul, you're not, you're not saved. You should have been baptized as a baby by Paul. I mean, imagine that. So finally he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Again, he's not downplaying baptism. He's not saying baptism is not something you need to do or something you shouldn't do or something you should do. He's not. But what he's doing is uplifting Christ over baptism. He's saying, my focus is the gospel. So Paul's primary focus was the gospel. His focus was preach and teach the gospel. And if he were to baptize people along the way, fine. But that was his focus. That's the standard. That's the first most important thing. And he's going to do it using the word of God. Not fancy words or intellectual knowledge. Not by using philosophy or words that require you to look up in the dictionary. But the using the word of God itself. I mean, he could have gone there and be like, oh, look, I got all these intellectual words to tell you. I'm going to tell you about God. I'm going to tell you about the gospel. And I'm going to do it in a fancy way. That way you guys can be amazed. You'll be like, whoa, this guy's amazing. I don't understand nothing he said, but he used so many fancy words that he must be true. He must be speaking something good. It's God and his word, not people and their knowledge. That's why he says in verse 17, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Because if it depends on men, on men's intellectual ability and how they say things, then what Christ did is nothing. He wasted his time. He wasted his sacrifice. Because if all he took was for me to say something intellectually, for you to come to Christ, what was the point of Christ sacrificing himself on the cross? It took all he takes was men. Men to change your mind, right? That's all he takes. So they need to live... They need to leave behind that division that they've gotten themselves into and then and they start and focus on Christ and move forward together as one body. You know, if I didn't know any better, I would think Paul was talking about the current state of the church in America and other progressive countries. And I say those countries because time for this. They don't have time about to be divided about stuff that means nothing. They're not spending their day 
arguing about things that mean nothing. They're, they're persecuted. They're being killed. Their focus is Christ. That's all it matters to them. So that's why I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about those, those progressive countries. It sounds a lot like the current state of some of the churches because we can't get over the fact whether we're going to get vaccinated or not. I mean, it's crazy, right? Imagine persecuted countries arguing about, you know, the church arguing about whether they're going to get vaccinated or not while there's people trying to kill them. And I know it's important, right? It's an important decision. It's your body's medicine. I know I get it. I'm not saying that's bad. But there's people living with no hope. There's people that are lost. And we spend more time divided with the anti-mask or anti-vax versus those who want to wear masks and those who want to take the vaccine. And we're forgetting about those who are looking for hope. Forgetting that it goes beyond that. It sounds a lot like the current state of some of the churches because we pay more attention to podcasts and books than Christ and his word. I mean, we spend hours upon hours reading books and listening to believers' podcasts, right? True Christians, true teachers, you know. But we spend five minutes reading the Bible verse of the day. We got ten hours into this podcast, but I got five minutes into the Bible. We remember every word that's said in the YouTube video, but can't remember what the pastor said last week. That's, that's the honest truth. It sounds a lot like the current state of some of the churches because of the amount of denominations that exist out there. This estimation shows that there are 200 Christian denominations in the U.S. 45,000 denominations. And whatever happened, be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You know why there's denominations, right? You can talk about why is there not so many denominations? Because we all understand the Bible differently. So we want to do it our own way. So we create denominations. So let me ask you this question. These questions. Is Christ divided? I mean, when is the church going to stop dividing and creating new denominations or new churches just because of secondary issues? Just because whether we, oh, we should baptize this baby. Oh, we should baptize an adult. Oh, let's, let's open a new denomination. They're only baptized babies. And only baptized. When are we going to stop the division? Yes, let's divide. But if we are saying that we are followers of Christ... Shouldn't we all be preaching and teaching the same thing? Are we not reading the same Bible and believing the same God? You know are saying? This is the God I believe in. Well, aren't you preaching the same thing I'm preaching? I read the story about John Wesley. I don't know if you know who he is. I'm not going to go into details about him. Look him up. Uh, but I read his story about how he changed his mind about division. He said he had a dream where... where he was transported into the gates of hell. And he asked, well, he was there, are there any Pres Presbyterian here? And they say, yes. 
You heard a reply saying, yes, there's Presbyterians here. Is there any Roman Catholics here? You heard, yes. Any Congregationalists? Yes. And then he hesitated and said, shocked. And he heard, yes. Then he transported and found himself in heaven and asked the same questions. Are there any Presbyterian here? And the reply was, no. Any Roman Catholics? No. Any Congregationalist? No. And he asked the one that he was most interested in, are there any Methodists? And to his shock, the answer was no. Then he said, well then, please tell me who is in heaven. And with this great joyful expression, they responded, Christians. And look, I'm not saying all these types of denomination are the same and it's okay because we're all going to go to heaven. Right? That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what he's saying. What I'm saying is that if we are preaching the true gospel, there is no need for these types of denominations. There's no need for us to divide ourselves with names. And you should not be calling yourself a pastor, a teacher, or a Christian. But if you are teaching this, the truth, 100%, then why are we categorizing ourselves? Let me ask you this question. Has anyone other than Christ died on the cross for your salvation? That's a simple, easy no. No one. Pretty much every belief out there says that there are many paths to going to heaven. You just have to be good enough, right? You just have to do more good things than bad things. If you do just enough good things over bad things, then you're saved. But you see, that's the problem of what he was preaching and what he did. And he himself, that one who came back from the dead, the only one that's come back from the dead, said that only through him would you get to the Father. Only through him, the only one that came back from the dead said, only through me can you get into heaven. So this means stop lifting men, stop lifting yourself, and set the focus on Christ. It's not because of your deeds, it's not because of how great I said it, or because of how great the preacher you're following. It has nothing to do with that. I've had many conversations with different types, with, with different believers, and, and I enjoy it. But sometimes, some of these conversations get a little bit awkward and weird and a little bit odd of these believers, at least so-called. They tell me, hey, if this XXX or this so on and so on, this guy would ever, you know, leave Christianity, I would have a hard time believing in God. As long as he's a believer, you know, I could be a believer too, but if he would ever leave Christianity, then I don't know. I don't know. 
And we've seen that many times where somebody like Ravi, all of a sudden, oh, he's not as an angel as everybody thought he was. He was the perfect saint. And I believe because, and then all of a sudden, we see what happens, and now all of a sudden, nobody wants to believe in God. And when I say no one, we all know it's not generally no one. Or another thing that happens is when they speak to me about, you know, their thoughts and their beliefs and what they are, I feel like I'm listening to an audio file of a book. It's like all this. I mean, tell me about what your experience with God is based on the word of God. Let's talk about that. Not the whole book written by John MacArthur. I don't want you to read it back to me. It's like all they do is read, read, read. So all they know is what everybody else is saying. What are you saying? Again, I'm not saying we, we shouldn't talk about a book or read books. By all means, this is how we learn. You know, we learn by reading from books, right? We don't learn math by just magically appearing in our brain. Right? We read books. We read teachers. They teach us. I'm not saying that's wrong. But your life should not be led and focused on the book or the podcast or the teacher. It should be inspired by the book, by this book, the Bible, by God's word. That's the book that we should be inspired by. Let me ask you this final question. Are you rejecting people just because they are different, they have different ideas than you on something that was left up to your own? Are you not worshiping together? Are you not sitting together with those who are believers just because they have a different idea of revelation? Look, God has revealed himself as much as our minds can handle so we can understand who he is. And he did the same thing with the plan that he has for our salvation. But there are things that we don't understand. We can sit here all day and talk about the process of dying and going to heaven. How does that feel like? And every one of us will have a different opinion. Because the Bible doesn't tell us. And there are things that the Bible tells us, look, there's no right or no wrong. What are you going to eat? The Bible talks to us about, and we're going to see this. What should we be eating? Why would say just eat? But then there are things that the Bible don't tell us at all. Do we get vaccinated or not? It doesn't tell us. Make the best decision that you could possibly make. Not that we can sit here and, and talk about, look, I, you know, had this idea about the church and yeah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. God gave us a brain. Let's use it. What he says is that we should be united even if our ideas are different. Even if we come from a different nationality. Even if we're, if we're raising our kids different. Even if we are raised different. We shouldn't be divided because of that. Because what should be uniting us is Christ. So Paul is saying, do not stop gathering with other believers just because they think differently. Or just because they're reading one book and you're reading another. You got to understand that this is the biggest tool the devil has. And Jesus said it, right? Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. In every city, 
or house divided against itself will not stand. Keyword is every, right? This is in Matthew. He's, he's talking about, he's defending himself because they're calling him a demon, right? So he's using that to defend himself. So like, why would demons divide within each other? If demons are divided against each other, fall, what makes you think us as believers divided against each other won't fall? And I understand that there's corruption in this world and humans twist and misunderstand scriptures for their own pleasure and desires and they will teach and preach the wrong gospel just because they want to. That's nothing new. Paul experienced the same thing. But as believers, we need to stand united in truth, not divided because of people or ideas. And we should teach the truth as it is. That way only God gets the glory and we can witness to, of the work of God that's being done in our life to those who are outside. Those who are outside together, what do you think is attracting those people in those persecuted countries to Christianity? They grow in those circumstances. Why? Because you don't have time to disagree about dumb things. So those who are outside looking at me like, look, in the middle of chaos... In the middle of pain, they're sticking together. So they look from the outside and be like, wow, unbelievable. But if you get the opposite where you're outside and you'll be like, there's 10 churches in the same block and they're all preaching something different. And they all call themselves Christian. One says, no, because we got to worship by jumping up and down and really loud music and you don't. So we're going to open our own church because this is how you should worship. We're divided amongst each other about things like nothing that has to do with anything. Opinions. And then they look at us and be like, no, I could do that on my own. That's fine. God needs to get the glory. People need to see that God is the one in between us, in us. And it's the center and it's the focus of everything that we do. you enjoy this week's sermon if you have any questions would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us again we want to thank you for listening and remember this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church so we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on catch up with holy city church